Meetings, meetings, meetings. It's what we do in leadership in the church, right? We go to meetings. Some are great, some, well, not so great. But meetings are such a part of our uh, leadership experience in the church that we felt it important as leading saints to put together the Meetings with Saints virtual summit. And if those of you that have attended other virtual summits, you know how these work. We've gathered about 20 experts or individuals who have a unique perspective about how to effectively run a meeting. And we've interviewed them and we've uh, made that content all part of this virtual summit, which you can watch anywhere in the world. It's free to attend. It starts March 17th and you just got to register. And we're going to cover things like how to make a meeting a revelatory experience, how to create and use an effective meeting agenda, how to hold an effective ministering interview, how to engage all participants in a meeting, even introverts like myself, how to use software applications to streamline your meeting discussions and to really shorten those meetings to a realistic length. And we're going to cover as many types of meetings, even sacrament meetings, there's going to be covered in this virtual summit. So the Meetings with Saints virtual summit starts May 10th. You don't want to miss this phenomenal content. Just text the word LEAD to 474747 to find more information. Or you can go to leadingsaints.org slash meetings. Again, text the word LEAD to 474747 and register for the Meetings with Saints virtual summit. Welcome back to the Leading Saints podcast. My name is Kurt Frankham, your host. And I welcome you if you're new, and I welcome you if you're old, or young, or beautiful, or ugly. I'm just glad you're here. Now, again, if you're new to Leading Saints, you may be wondering, what's this uh, podcast all about? Well, we are a nonprofit organization called Leading Saints, and we help Latter-day Saints be better prepared to lead. And the one way we do this is through this podcast that has uh, 375 or so episodes and uh, almost 3 million downloads. And so it's a quite popular thing and something that most people know us by. And so I encourage you to go to leadingsaints.org, jump into the content there. We have written articles as as well as uh, obviously the podcasts and uh, so much more content you'll find there. And we invite you to engage in, in this journey that we're uh, we're in right now. And uh, you're, I'm just, okay, listen, I'm really excited to share this episode with you. This is an episode with an individual I've been, I never thought I'd get the chance to interview. And lo and behold, here we are. The interview's done and uh, moving forward. And this is an interview with John Eldridge. And you may think, okay, Kurt, who on earth is John Eldridge? Well, he is a, a Christian author. He's written several best-selling books. One book that he wrote is definitely his most popular and one that you may be familiar with called Wild at Heart. And this is a book that has changed me as a man. All right. This, wow. And it's led to different retreats I've been to that have been so, so motivating that have blessed my life immensely. I mean, I guess I can't put it into words, but if you know John Eldridge, you know John Eldridge. If you don't, I'm excited to introduce you to him now. I really would classify him as the modern day C.S. Lewis, right? You hear about C.S. Lewis being quoted all the time at General Conference by leaders. I mean, you almost wonder if he <laughs> if he was an apostle himself in the church, but obviously he was uh, never a Latter-day Saint, but definitely a, a deep and bold Christian. And that's who John Eldridge is for me. His writings inspire me, motivate me in the gospel, and have really added to, to the tactics I use to gain a deeper relationship with my Savior, Jesus Christ. So we talk about uh, the first part about his book, Wild at Heart, just his mission, uh, helping men uh, who have lost heart to overcome that and to re-engage with, with the gospel again. And then we talk about his, his new book that he just came out with called Get Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad. And just awesome 
practical approaches to a life where we feel so tied to smartphones and technology and news. And we're actually, we recorded this on March 16th in the height, at least I hope it's the height, in the height of the panic of the uh, the pandemic, right? And so we refer to that throughout this, but it does articulate and illustrate some some ways in which we get so drawn in to the message of the world, to headlines, to to our smartphones, to the next news cycle, right? And so anyways, fantastic opportunity I had. I'm excited to share it with you. Here is my interview with John Eldridge, the author of Wild at Heart and Get Your Life Back. Today, I, uh, I'm checking off a, a big interview on my bucket list here. I've uh, invited John Eldridge here. How are you, John? Yeah, I'm good. It's great to talk with you. Yeah, I'm excited for our conversation here. I've uh, read several of your books, and it's one of those things that uh, you read a book, and then uh, you never think you actually get to talk with the author, but here we are. It happens. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, that's awesome. So just tell us, uh, I know a lot of people in the Latter-day Saint community aren't as, as familiar, but I guess I, I need a... I need to first just thank you for because there is a little bit of a uh, a movement, at least from my experience, and amongst our our community. You know, I've been to several different men retreats, and uh, and your book, Wild at Heart, constantly comes up as, as a life changing book, and and it brings a message so strong, and for, for especially for men. And, and my wife is, you know, we've both dove into captivating that you and your wife uh, co wrote to together, and just. It's really strengthened me personally, our marriage, my view of life, and uh, my relationship with God, and it's been awesome. So maybe just put yourself into context. If, if people aren't as familiar with you and, and your ministry, how would you introduce that? Okay. So uh, 30 years ago, began as a therapist. I live here in Colorado, and I was doing a lot of work with men, you know, and they come in with all kinds of things. It's marriage, or it's a gambling addiction, or it's all the sexual stuff, but what I began to notice was that underneath the presenting issues, it was all the same. And it was, it was the neglected heart of a man. Uh, he's looking for a battle to fight. He wants adventure in his life. He wants to come through for the beauty, but he doesn't know how. And that, <clears throat> that gave birth to the book, Wild at Heart. It really came out of my own story. I grew up in an alcoholic home. My dad really blew the family up. And, and so I didn't get the fathering that I needed. And I really began to seek that very intentionally in my adult years because I was just aware of, I've got three young boys, you know, when I was writing Wild at Heart, how do I father these kids? You know, how do I love well? And, and uh, I'm married to this woman that is far more rich and complex than I ever expected. <laughs> yeah. How do I navigate that? And Wild at Heart came at a moment in our culture where the whole fatherless experience had really come to a crescendo. You know, we had the divorce generation in our prayer, you know, you're in my, our parents' generation, Kurt, and then that really swept America. And, and so you had a lot of boys and girls growing up without a dad or growing up, with, he may have been home, but he wasn't involved. He was a busy dad or he was gone a lot in his career or, you know, or just he didn't know how to father himself. So Wild at Heart came in an incredible moment, but we had no idea what was coming. I mean, mm -hmm. it was gender confusion back then. Now gender, you know, it's considered a spectrum mm -hmm. across which people can move. And so there's a great deal of heartache in the world as people try and navigate what's male, what's female, what did God mean? How do we get healed in that? How do we get whole? And how do we offer that wholeheartedness to our kids, whether they're sons or daughters? And so, yeah, while at heart took off and 
about 20 years ago and kind of became this this phenomenon. And I, I'm just thrilled with the number of LDS readers that we've had. It's We've had a lot of great correspondence with those guys. And there's even some wild at heart retreats going on. Yeah, being led in the in the LDS community, which is really beautiful. Yeah, I've been to I've been to several. Yeah. So. Okay, there you yeah. go. Far out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh so now I, I got so busy I, I don't practice as a private therapist anymore. I'm an mm-hmm. author and uh we do we do our own Wild at Heart conferences, but we also do other stuff and so it kind of grew into this this global movement really around healing masculinity and healing femininity like how yeah. how do we do that right because it's it can be confusing this whole process of you know when when individuals especially men lose heart we think yeah those are the convicts you know the the drug addicts that are, that are in prison and you know we pray for them and hope that they they figure their life out but really like what's helped me is just the just the everyday man who's just lost himself and he doesn't know how to how to capture it back, right? And yeah. so, because especially in in a church, and and I see this a lot, where you know, just recognizing, you know, being raised as a really good boy, and you you grow up to be a really nice guy, and you think, well, I think I'm supposed to be a really nice guy, but then you lose the adventure and and the the battle of it all because you're just trying to conform to being a nice guy, right? Yeah. Well, a nice guy isn't enough to yeah. help you through your life. I mean, God gave every one of us a warrior heart. Because you're going to end up having to fight for some things. You're going to have to fight for your career, or you're going to have to fight for your health. Or I'll guarantee you, if you're married, you're going to have to fight for a marriage. Oh yeah, you know. And so nice, like yes, kindness is really essential. I think men are meant to be tender, but not only tender. See, that's the thing. Not only nice. There's mm-hmm. also a time to be fierce, and there's a time to be brave, and there's a time to take risks. And that's where the adventure piece comes in. The reason most guys love adventure is that they feel alive in it. Like something mm-hmm. in them comes alive that's not coming alive, you know, at work or what, you know, in their normal day to day. And that's really good. Like we need to cultivate that part of us because it's going to be called for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And and I've no, reckon, you know, I have a five-year-old son right now. And if you want to see the seeds of, of manhood, I mean, just see how a five-year-old acts, you know. Right. And, yeah, it's it's remarkable. And I mean, anything longer than six inches is a sword, you know, it's suddenly <laughs> you're like, wow, you know, where'd this come from? But and it's I often catch myself when I'm like, hey, no, don't stand up there. No, don't jump off that. No, don't do that. Don't. And I'm like, wait a minute. Like he's discovering something deep in himself that I need to perpetuate that I need to father yeah. out of him. And it's really changed the way that I that I approach my, my fathering. Oh, uh, way to go. So is the Superman cape that I can see in the background <laughs> his or yours? This is actually mine. So uh, I actually took this to one of the boot camps and uh, and I showed because this is the beginning of my larger story right here, John, this is when uh, my mother so- gave me that Superman cape. And uh, it, it you know, where I felt like, you know, I can be a superhero. Like yeah. th- that was what my mother was communicating to me. Yeah. And so it's it's special. So I actually don't, my five-year-old asked to wear that and say, well, let's get your own cake. Yeah, that's beautiful. This is a little bit tattered. Right. So. Yeah. Anyway. So, to help, so to help your listeners, let me just put it in one bucket. Every little boy is asking one question. And the question is, do I have what it takes? Mm. And how that question gets answered, particularly by his dad, really shapes him into a man or not. And so most of the guys that are, you know, fearful or hesitant or they're over the top trying to conquer everything and prove, you know, they've got three careers and, you know, it's because they didn't get a good answer to that question. They don't know that they have what it takes. 
and so that's the core need, the search for validation. It's kind of the core need of every man. It's what drives us, you know, right to this day. Everything we do in, in the world is that search for validation. Yeah. So let me kind of uh, paint the picture. You may be familiar how we're, we're structured in, in the Latter-day Saint Church as far as, you know, we have what are called elders quorums. And uh, with the lay leadership, you know, I've been I've been an elders quorum president. And, you know, I'm a marketing grad. You know, I don't have necessarily experience in, you know, leadership or or, you know, a long history of, of de- helping men develop into, uh, you know, answering this question of do I have what it takes or anything. And so a lot of these elders quorum presidents are put in, for- in front of a quorum of, you know, 40 to 50 men, let's say on average. And they think, you know, I want to engage with these men. I want to connect, but we end up just coming to church on Sunday and, uh, well, okay, you read that verse. And, uh, what do you think about that? Yeah. You know, and really a lot of us, I joke that we don't go home because our wife, our wife has the keys and she's, <laughs> She's in another room of the church, you know. So, so how how would you? Because you have these remarkable resources of your the boot camps you do, and obviously, you know, the books you, you've written. But what advice would you give to a leader who a leader of men, a, a small group of of a community of men who really wants to engage with them and, and help them answer this question of Do I have what it takes and be real and, and vulnerable with them? Well, you do lead by vulnerability. You know, the the room the, the mood of the room is set by the leader. And so if you're trying hard to keep a good front and you, don't, you want everybody to think you're a really good guy, that's going to be the message. But you lead by vulnerability, talk about your own struggles. But you also, you want to invite these guys into an adventure. You want to invite them into a mission. What's our mission? What are you chasing? What's your adventure right now? What's making you come alive? Like invite them into some larger things. And by that, I don't only mean mission. You know, technically, as, as, as it's used in the LDS community, I mean, what's your battle to fight? What are you fighting for right now? Oh, I really feel like I'm fighting for my 17-year-old. All right, let's talk about it. What's the fight there? Well, there's a lot of depression. There's some, some suicidal thoughts. Like, that man is in a battle. I guarantee you. You know, and to be able to have conversation at that level, let's be honest about the battles we face. And then let's talk about adventure. Like, where is adventure in your life? And it might be something as simple as, Oh, we're building a boat and we're going to, you know, we're going to go float the green or whatever. Or it might be, I want to start a business. That's my new adventure. I'm going to be an entrepreneur for the first time. So like getting conversation around that, like that's going to tap into the deeper parts of these guys. But the mood, the mood in the room is set by the leader. And if this is all about, like you said, it's all about being good boys. That's what we were all taught. Be a good boy, right? Mm -hmm. And be a nice guy. That is not enough. And what's really killing men in the church actually is boredom. Yeah. They're just bored to death. Yeah. 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 And I love that, the concept of, you know, sort of bringing, how, how to engage through that, uh, that dialogue of, of adventure. And a good friend of mine, Todd, he, he uh, was in a, you know, leading a group of, of young men, you know, 16, 17, 18 year olds. And every week at church, he would start out saying, all right, who's got a man moment this week? You know, let's hear, hear the man moments. And one said, oh, I went fly fishing, you know, with my grandpa and we caught a fish this big or, you know, and just re- highlighting the, the man moments of, because that's where you find th- where a, a man finds his heart, right? It, rather than saying, well, let's let's talk about the Ten Commandments for a minute. And, you know, that, that that's important and, and there's reason for that. But a lot of these men will find God through through engagement, through that adventure and battle, right? They, they really will. Exactly. Yeah, that's yeah. good. That's awesome. Anything else as far as this uh, this model that you use through boot camps? Maybe explain what that is and and why that's important. And maybe 
would it be important for, you know, an elders quorum to go out and do a retreat of some type or, or what's the method to that? Yep. Or at least encourage smaller groups of guys to do it together. So what we, what we created, and this is available online for free now, the Wild at Heart Bootcamp. It's a four-day experience. And it takes men not only deep into their own heart. Yes, I want to battle. I want to win my battles, you know. And yes, I want adventure. And, and yes, I want a beauty in my life. And how do I fight for her? But it also takes men back into their own story. Where did you lose heart? Because in this world, you know, this is a very broken world with very broken people. And every man at some point will lose heart. And it might have been in high school when he didn't make the team, you know, or or it may have been he didn't get into the college that he wanted. He didn't go to college at all. It, It may be farther back. It may be his dad left. It may be that his dad never told him he loved him. You know, somewhere in his story, he lost heart. And it's very important to help men go back in their story, where did I lose heart? So that's a part of the weekend. It's not the only part, but it's, it's really core for men to, to recognize, whoa, I've been wounded. I've taken some real shots, particularly that I don't have what it takes. You know, And to go back and deal with those is a really key part of it. So the weekend's like this really awesome journey. It's this progression through, here's what you're wired for. Here's how God made men. Here's how it gets off the rails. And we get really honest about our own stories. We're pretty vulnerable in it. I talk about growing up in an alcoholic home. And, and we're also, we get, into, we get into the sexual brokenness because in this hour right now, there's so much that's available sexually online, um, all the internet porn and all that. You have to understand it's not about sex. A man is searching for validation, and it makes him feel like a man. And so if you can get the healing in there, suddenly he gets free from his sexual addiction, and it wasn't about sex, right? So so the weekend goes through this really awesome progression of you do have a mission in the world. God did create you for a reason. Let's go find that. You have a big adventure to live. You have a really big adventure to live. Let's go find that. Uh, And so it's a very heart restoring, you know, masculine restoring four day experience. But we boxed it. We put it online on our website. Uh, It's called Wild at Heart Basic and anybody can do it. Like you could take four guys through it or you could take 400 guys through it. You know, it's it's a very cool experience. Yeah. I love that. And and there's there's reason to as far as I mean, this isn't something you just go down to your your local church and and do over four days. I mean, there's, there's reason to go out into the, you know, to find a cabin or a camp or something where this can be laid out, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, men are super plugged in. We are super yeah. plugged into, into the world and we are super distracted and you got to get out of the distraction. You just have to, or, I mean, you guys are doing it. You know, we get lots of cool stories of guys doing it in their garage every Friday night and it works. But the cabin environment, that sort of thing is really ideal because you get guys away from their world and just get the distraction and the noise, you know, just 10 feet back, just get it a little bit pushed back really helps a guy get more out of it. Yeah. And and I've often recommended because on your website on Ransomed Heart, you've got a variety, like you'll list where these boot camp or wild heart basics are happening or or yours only, yours as well, right? And so... I always encourage, you know, if a new Elders Corn president's uh, called, you know, I say find a, a boot camp in your area and attend this and and just 
you know, look at the model, look how they approach this and then consider maybe doing your own or, or just take some of these principles and apply them to see how they connect with the men's heart, right? Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, thanks, Kurt. That's awesome. Thank you. And so where, where would people go to if, if they want to find one in their area to, uh, to attend? Yeah, so you could Google John Eldridge or Wild at Heart and it'll get you to our website, which is ransomedheart.com. And then there's an events link right there in the head bar. And you can look at the events and find out what's happening in your area. We do live events, but we don't do enough of them to meet the need. And so a lot of guys can't get in. And so that's why we gave it away. That's why now guys are doing their own basics and their boot camps all over the world. And it lets, I mean, it lets a lot more guys in the door. So, you know, we, we took the bottleneck off and the bottleneck was us. And by giving it away, yeah, you can find one basically in, in in every state and almost in every country. Yeah, yeah, it's it's remarkable. And and I always encourage, you know, don't this doesn't just have to be a, an LDS thing, you know. Like I've benefited so much by going to some that that are maybe run more by evangelicals or things like just because we get sort of trapped in our own jargon and and religious experiences. It was helpful for me to sort of step out of that and and worship and connect with God with other you know, denominations. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I, the fun stories we're getting are the Catholics leading them in Slovakia and the, you know, Greek Orthodox leading them over in Eastern Europe. And you're like, what? Like, that's amazing. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's cross-cultural. It's really, it's really very powerful. Awesome. Well, I want to pivot to y- your new book called Get Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World, World Gone Mad. And I think that's a perfect subtitle. And I mean, you, you, you write several books. I mean, what is usually the process that where you wake up and think, all right, this, this concept, these thoughts, this inspiration I'm feeling, I've got to put this in a book. What's that process like? Well, it's almost always come out of my work with people and also out of my own life. I just kind of tune into what's the need right now? What are people struggling with? And, and how can we help with that? So that's that, that's that therapist background in me. But this one, this one was my own journey. The world just fried me. I just got, I was overplugged in and, you know, overchecking email and overusing technology. And, and I was losing all the things that brought me life. I wasn't riding my mountain bike anymore. And I, I just, the pace of life, the amount of need, the stuff coming at me, needing my attention, the technology, the tsunami of information. And like now, I mean, come on, like everybody's glued to the news on the latest coronavirus reports and stuff. Yeah. But what we don't understand is that that really fries your soul. The human soul was never meant to live at the pace that we live at. It was never meant to live with the amount of information. So I got cooked personally. I just got baked dry. I was really dried out. And so I just began to seek some ways of getting out of the madness a little bit. But in a real life, because I have a company, I have 19 employees, like I still have to, I have to show up to work. I got to answer emails. People are texting me all the time. I got to answer that. So it's, I, I was looking for some things in my real life that I could do that would help me with the chaos and not be so spun up by the world and begin to get, get my soul back, like get healing and restoration. I just didn't want to be fried anymore. Yeah. Yeah, that's powerful. And I, every, I, I definitely resonate with that, you know, because you especially you're in the madness a little bit, you, but you sort of feel like to be a responsible adult, you got to be there, you know, especially during this time, like, I got to make sure I'm up to date, you know, to, to let my family know what, what the plan is, you know, going forward with this uh, 
with this pandemic. But we also have to recognize there's, like you said, we're sort of becoming just overcooked with our, our brain with all this information and, and to step back and connect with God and find him away from this technology is, is important. Right. Yeah. Well, here, I mean, here's just a very simple question. Are you spending, are you giving more of your attention to what's happening with the pandemic than you are giving your attention to God? Right. Yeah, I probably. Yeah. You know, all yeah. of us yeah. are, right? Yeah. <laughs> like we are way more glued to our phones. We are, we were watching the news, you know, and it's just an example of, I didn't realize this until I was reading another author, Stephen Crawford, where he said, the war in the world right now is for our attention. Everybody is warring for your attention. And as a marketing guy, you get that, yeah. right? Like, yep. It, yep. And so it's the clickbait and the push notifications. And it, you know, and now with the coronavirus, you understand that everyone wants you to get to their news report, their website, their, you know, and so they've got to put out really exciting stuff. You know, we got the latest on the, you know, there's a war for our attention, but in, oh my goodness, you have to fight back because you don't want your attention taken hostage by the world. There's all kinds of research data showing this is really increasing stress, adrenaline, cortisol, and then all the health effects that that has. I mean, the irony is the best thing you could do right now in the coronavirus is have a really strong immune system, but you understand that stress and anxiety mm -hmm wear down your immune system. And so what I, what I was, and this was, I wrote this book before this all happened, but we need to take some very simple steps to begin to push back the madness a little bit and so that we can be healthy and whole and so that we can be sane because people who are level-headed are going to make better decisions in this moment, right? right. But if right. you're all, woo, spun up in the, <laughs> you know, the latest, you know, and you're just too plugged in, and because it's not just being too plugged in, it's that if you are spending your time and attention there, you're not listening to music anymore. You're not taking a walk. You're not playing with your kids, right? Like you're giving yeah. up something in order to take on that life. And that's what happened to me. And I didn't like it. And so I began to fight back. And I'm, I'm talking really simple things, Kurt. Like don't check your phone first thing in the morning. Yeah. Like we're all addicted to that. Everybody does. You wake up, you check your phone. Right. Yeah. But but as soon as you do that, you are in the matrix. You you know, it's like there's the news report and there's the text and there's the email you forgot to answer last night. You know, just leave your phone face down on the counter and in the morning, look out the window, say some prayers like you get to be a human being. And I'm talking 10 minutes, not two hours, like just simple choices we can make that actually make your soul really strong and really resilient. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful. And, and really, I was, as I read through the book, you know, just this message of, of surrender kept coming to the surface. Would you, is that a good way to articulate it? Like just, and obviously that's a core, you know, gospel experience is, is with our relationship with Christ is, is surrendering. Yeah. Yeah. Well, absolutely. Because the reason that we're so plugged in is that knowledge gives us a sense of control and it gives mm. us a sense of safety and security. But frankly, gang, you know everything that you can know about the coronavirus now. Like, like, <laughs> like, right. And so more knowledge is actually not our security. And God wants to be our security. He really wants to be where we first turn. And just statements like, peace, I leave with you. My peace, I give to you. 
Like the world could really use a big dose of peace right now. And it would actually help hospital administrators and school administrators and stuff make really good decisions, right? Mm -hmm. Well, we can be the people that are kind of like bringing peace into our communities if we are not the ones that are totally spun up and anxious and freaked out by it all, right? Yeah. Yeah. So that thing of surrender is, I don't actually need to be on my phone all day today. I don't, I can really back away and I can give God my attention again, because that's where, that's where my security lies. It's not in the next news report. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I've found just in, uh, reading the book and, and, you know, seeing different uh, habits adjust in my life, like even leaving my phone, you know, in my office on, on one side of the house and, and recognizing it as a moment of prayer and meditation where it's easy to think, well, to pray, you got to kneel down, you got to close your eyes and, and speak to God. But in reality, like leaving that there and saying, I'm just going to go be present with my family or go on a walk and just be present in that moment, like just this overwhelming feeling of prayer and meditation that comes just out of that, even though I'm not kneeling down, you know, muttering a, a prayer. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, it's awesome. Okay, so I was just reading some recent uh, research that college students, if they know that their phone is in the room, they score one grade lower on their exams. That is how powerfully distracting our phones are. But if they will put their phone in another room, they will literally score an entire grade higher. So you move from a C to a B or a B to an A, just because of the distractive power of technology now, like we are all way, way over plugged in. So here's another suggestion. Sometime in your evening, the phone gets turned off and you get the last part of the day to be a human being again. So for Stacy and I, it's about 8 p.m. And we just say, look, no more text, no more email, laptops get closed, right? And we're going to be real people. We're going to do real things not digital things, real things. And so we'll take a walk together or we'll, we'll you know, maybe do a puzzle or something. We will just talk. We'll read, maybe not even the same thing, but just being in the same room reading together is really wonderful. And mm-hmm. it, it is healing our soul. It's getting us out of this pace of life. Because the big lie was this. The big lie was that technology was going to give everybody more margin to mm-hmm. do the things you love. And I just want to ask your listeners, did it? <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's, that's necessarily been my experience, John. Right? <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because what, what it, technology allowed far more access to us. So now email, you know, is coming in in floods and the texts and the Instagram and the social, Facebook. So you've got to actually push back some, some room in your life to be a human being again mm-hmm. and to let your soul come down from all the chaos and, and frankly, all of the fear and anxiety in the world right now. I mean, yeah. that stuff's contagious, man. It's, it is. Oh, it's far yeah. more contagious than the virus itself. <laughs> That's true. true. You got to unplug just to get out of the fear and just take a walk, read a book, listen to some music, like let your soul be well, and then you'll be the stronger person in your world, right? To bring yep. the sanity. Yeah. Yeah. It's 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 amazing for sure. It, and like there's almost this uh, like you talk about uh, becoming human again, right? Like disconnect and become human again because th- I, that's like the best fertile soil to connect with God because that's how God made you as a human, right? Not as somebody with a, a device in their hand or somebody who's plugged in, you know, remotely to everything happening in the news. So it's almost becomes this ceremonial process of like I'm now connecting with God. I'm putting this aside. 
I'm reengaging with with his word or whatever it is. And uh, and because I feel like in my personal life, the danger is is that you know, okay, I'm sort of in the the madness. I'm checking emails. I'm checking on this news report, that news report. Oh yeah, I've got to. I I need to read read some scripture today. So I'm going to switch over to that app. And now I'm I'm reading scripture. And so it, it sort of corrupt some of these spiritual actions that we feel like, well, I'm, I'm going through the motions, but I'm not really feeling God. Like, why is that? When in reality, it, it, there's so many other steps before you can just jump into that, right? Yeah, that's good, Kurt, because you're still spun up. You're still distracted. And what, what we really have, we have a divided attention and a divided affection. That's what mm-hmm. we have. Everything is trying to divide our attention and divide our affections. And to learn to be single-minded and single-hearted, at least for a couple moments a day. Like, I just want to start there. Like, like let's not set a high bar and say, okay, we're all going to like pull out of the chaos and we're just going to be monastic people. <clears throat> not going to happen. Right. So let's set, a, let's set a realistic expectation. A couple times a day, I'm going to pause and get out of the madness and I'm going to create some soulful space. And as you said, Kurt, I mean, God is right there. He's right there. And here's another simple one. For me, I would pull in the driveway at the end of the day, and I would be so cranked from my day, just running on cortisol from the meetings and the phone calls and the urgencies and the crises. And I'm still kind of in therapeutic work. So it's, you know, this suicide and that thing. And, and I was just, I was just, you know, really spun up, turn my key off, turn the engine off in my truck, but I don't get out of my truck anymore. I sit there for a minute. And what I'm learning to do is let it go. And what, I, what I'm praying now is, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And I can feel my body like I was so tense. I just sit there. Let's go, Jesus. I give everyone and everything to you. And then you start thinking of things, that email I shouldn't have sent. Like, I give that to you, God. And that meeting that I know is coming tomorrow that I'm totally unprepared for, I give that to you. My concern for my kids, I give that to you. You, you got to let it go, gang. You can't carry this stuff. And I'm talking, I'm sitting in my car for three minutes. This is not this huge, epic moment. <laughs> three minutes. Everybody yeah. can do this. But in those three minutes, suddenly God is there. And I'm able to, first off, that's really a rich moment. It's really wonderful. And then when I do walk in the front door, I'm not bringing in the chaos. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah, so true. And this is a, something I really struggle with because I, I work at home. You know, my, I don't have a commute to disengage or a car to sit in, but so I have to be very intentional. Before I, I close my laptop and go back to my family, I, I can't just walk down the stairs and call it good. Like I really need to just take a moment and, and give, it to, give it to God, you know, because I can't drag these things, these issues, these worries around with me yeah. um, all night, you know, and I got to be human again. That's really good. And then you're able to be more present to your family. Because part of here, you know, back to why I wrote the book, one of the symptoms, we have little grandchildren now. I've got little, two little girls, three years old, one little boy year. And I found that I couldn't play with them for more than like five minutes without needing to check my phone and look at email and kind of plug back into the grown up world. <laughs> and I, th- I really, I thought, uh-oh, like I can't be present to the people I love for a few minutes. Like, whoa, I am not well. And it's that like you sit in your office, you close your laptop, you make a choice to transition so that we can be present to the people that we love. Yeah. 
in your, in your book, you, is this what you label the, the benevolent detachment, right? Yeah, yeah. This, this is act of detaching. Yeah, yeah. This is big. This is big because I think most caring people now are on empathy overload. And again, with the crisis, it's like, oh, no, you hear about, you know, this city or that group of people or this terrible thing going on in Italy or, you know, your soul is on empathy overload. You know way too much. And here, here's a fascinating thing. There was a British anthropologist, Dunbar, I'm trying to think, and he did this research on the human brain and on human villages. And he discovered that our relational network, what we are wired for is to live within a relational network of about 150 people. And you can handle that much news and you can handle that much heartbreak and you can handle that much crisis or that much joy, you know. Yeah. But the problem is now we're exposed to the suffering and the news and the drama of the entire planet. Yeah. And that really burdens the soul. It really does. So again, benevolent detachment. Benevolent because I'm not angry. I'm not cynical. I'm actually doing this in love, but I'm saying, I can't carry you, world. I'm actually small and only God is big. And so I got to let this go. And yeah. it's, it, you know, it's First Peter 5. He says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And, and it, it, it's like learning to ride a bike. I mean, it doesn't just happen in a moment. You kind of get it figured out and you get better at it. And then you get a lot of joy in it, you know, and you love. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's like that. So I use a couple times a day, I pause and I just say, all right, God, I give it all back to you. And now, I mean, with the coronavirus thing, holy cow, like I really have to give it back to him, you know? Yeah. Do we yeah. cancel the event in Europe? Do we still do the international travel? Do we not, you know, how do we, God, I got to give this to you. I can't carry it. Yeah. And I love this concept of empathy overload because you're right when, you know, when there is a, a tragedy, an earthquake in a different land and, you know, everybody's rallying to gather donations or something, you sort of feel this guilt of like, oh yeah, I've got to give something. If, if I don't, you know, the adversary starts to define ourselves and bring shame into that. Like, oh, I haven't done anything. But just to give it to God and say, listen, I I, I got to focus on where I'm at and the people I really impact with, and that's okay. And and this sort of pivots into the leadership conversation, because especially in, in our religious tradition, where there's where, uh, lay ministry, where you may be, you know, 40, 50 hours a week with your CPA firm trying to get everything there and then have to shift gears into being the bishop of a ward or, or you know, engaging there as people look to you for guidance and things. And so there's got to be a point where, you know, some of those may listen to this and think, well, I, I get what you're saying, but man, I've got to help these people. Like they're relying on me. And so just this action of giving it back to God and realizing, oh yeah, I'm not the savior. Like that's actually a Christ job. You know, I, I'm here to do what I can, but you know, just give it back to God, right? Any any thoughts on as far as that leadership dynamic? Yeah, yeah. So let me this? let me recommend something. So we knew everybody was living on their phones, and so we built an app, and it's mm. called the One Minute Pause. It's free. It's on the App Store, iPhone, and Android. The One Minute Pause, it, because what this allows us to do is a couple times a day. I'm not asking my soul to do it all day long, but a couple times a day, I do give it all back to God, and it's a reset. And so my, my app notifies me and it says time to take a pause. And then there's the, in the app, there's this beautiful music. And then there's just a very simple prayer. And the prayer begins, Jesus, I give everyone and everything to you. And within the, you know, there's, there's a one minute, a three minute, a five and a 10 in the app. And so I like the three. In a three minute pause, I can do that. And I'm not, I'm not trying to like accomplish it for my entire life. 
You know, I'm just trying to do it right now. And the beautiful thing is, as you practice that, you really are able to give it over. You are. And then the thing is, as a leader, then you are actually, there's brain research on this that shows you actually have more clarity and you have greater concentration if you'll do this. So you come out of it with a clear head. You go, oh, now I know what I should do. Or now I know how to help those folks. Or, or now I, now I, I remember what I was going to say to those, to those people. You know, it's very reoriented and resetting. I think this is critical for leaders because it's your good heart that's going to get you to take on stuff you shouldn't be carrying. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love that because this kind of dovetails into your, the concept of uh, the importance of transitions in our life. And this, you first introduced to me through your, the podcast that I, I listened to, uh, where you talked about these transitions. And I just, it like caught me because I have this horrible habit, John, of, of my transition. Like the minute I'm disengaged with one thing, I typically have a headphone in my ear and I just hit play and I'm, I'm off to listening to a podcast. And it may be, it may even be your podcast that's enriching and, and great, but it still removes that transition point from me. So how would you articulate it and help us understand the importance of transitions in our life? Yeah. So your soul was never made to be stuck on one gear. Go. <laughs> like <laughs> the whole idea of pauses. And this is a fascinating thing. It, you know, when you read the stories of Jesus, when it says he went from Jerusalem to Galilee, we think it happened like that. Because then we read the next sentence and it's like, and he yeah. did this or he said that. And it took him three days by foot to get there. Like that's his downtime. That's his transition time. And we have removed all transition time in our world. So even if you do have a commute, you're catching up on the news or your or podcasts or, you know, and if you watch people in lines at the store or at the Department of Motor Vehicles, nobody knows what to do with downtime anymore. As soon mm -hmm. as there is a moment, everybody's on their phones. And so what we're asking our soul to do is never pause, never transition. And so you go from, you know, a hectic day at work into an important ward meeting, into your home. And it's like, yeah, no wonder you're not sleeping well at night. Like you are not letting your soul transition. And by transition, what I mean is playtime with your eight-year-old daughter is very, very different than talking to your insurance agent on the phone. And that's very, very different than the meeting that you're about to walk into at work. And that's very different than the lunch you're going to go have with your pal. In between those things, there's just got to be a moment where you say, okay, I'm letting go of that meeting because now at lunch, I want to be present to my friend, right? Or I'm, I'm leaving work and I really want to be present when I go to my son's soccer game. And so you transitional spaces that allows your soul to make some gear changes so that we're not just all stuck on one frantic gear. Yeah. And you talk about this as well, like in the context of even going on a vacation or something where, you know, we, we go on a vacation, we get the red eye flight and then we're back to work, you know, maybe we, maybe we go in a little late at 10 AM, you know, but we're just right back in it. But even being intentional with these larger events of maybe taking a day or two and, and reconnecting to that part of your life rather than just jumping right into it. Right. Yeah. We, we learned this the hard way. We would, we would go on a wonderful vacation. We get back Sunday night, hit the ground Monday morning and it would be gone. All of the benefits of the vacation are gone by Wednesday. And so we would, now what we do is we come back on Saturday and we give ourselves Sunday to actually Sabbath and transition and, and be kind to our souls. Or like when you get some really hard news, when you get some really bad news, you get a, you get a phone call and you learn that your uncle passed away or maybe it's your dad. Like, don't ask yourself, 
to immediately go right back into a work meeting, like, like allowing some space to go, that was huge information. Whoa, I need to take a walk. Yeah. Yeah. It's powerful for sure. You also talked about the, uh, the process of, of restating belief and the importance of that. Help us understand it, um, as far as, because you, you talk about in your journal, you have uh, something at the front that as far as states your belief and it just, is that sort of a process of reconnecting with God in a more streamlined fashion or help us understand that? Okay. Concept. So it's back to the war on our attention because the war on your attention is really, fra- there's literally brain research now that's showing that the way we're consuming media and stuff on our smartphones and on the internet is changing the structure of the brain. Mm-hmm. And it is making it less difficult to give things our attention. But So let's just take the corona crisis right now. And it's not just the virus, it's the economic fallout. That's the far bigger issue right yeah. now. Yeah. Okay, so let's take that. And, and right now, just asking your listeners, do you have a confident sense that God is in control? And I got to go, uh, <laughs> I know I'm supposed to say yes. Right. But when you are in all of that news, like it is eroding your confidence that God still runs the universe. And so, yeah, at the front of my journal, I just have to write some really basic things down, like God is still loving, God is still in control. Because the crisis nature of the world, and right now the pandemic, and then the long-term economic fallout is going to make you feel like, yeah, kind of. He's kind of in control, but not, you know, not my life, not my future, not my job, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, you, you know, it's another way to war against this assault on our attention to just say, what do you fundamentally believe? Yeah. Do you believe a good and loving father has your life? He has your retirement account. He has your investments. Do you believe that? Like you got to fight for this. Right. Yeah, because we often look at the you know the smartphone as sort of our steering wheel. You know, I got to stay on top of that email because what if that what if that person emails and I'm not right on it? And think of the consequences that could come from that. But setting it aside and then going to your beliefs that anchor you, it then kind of gets you in that mode of like, oh yeah, I actually that isn't a, a steering wheel. God's got the steering wheel, and we're good. Right? Yeah, yeah. And by the way, you teach people how to treat you. If people learn that they can text you at any hour of the day or night and you will respond immediately, then they'll do it. <laughs> yeah. But I teach people, they've learned that, yeah, John doesn't get back to me right away. And they just learn to deal with that. Like yeah. I literally, even though I could, like I, I get a text and it's not urgent, but it's a question. Somebody wants something. I don't answer it for an hour. Mm-hmm. And they don't know if I'm in a meeting or doing something, but I'm just teaching them, hey, world. I am not on your leash, right? I am not yeah. hostage to you. Like I will get back to you, but in reasonable terms. Yeah, that's, that's powerful. Anything else, John, that we're, we're missing? Obviously, people can, can check out the book and uh, really dive into these principles, but uh, anything we're missing before we wrap up? Well, I, I would just say, Kurt, given the hour that we're living in, you need to take some deliberate steps, friends, to get out of the chaos and get out of the fear and get out of the speculation about the future and do some very simple things that let you be human again. Take a walk, ride your bike, do a puzzle, right? Talk to your talk to your wife or your spouse, you know, see a friend for lunch, like do normal things that let your soul calm down. In this hour, right now, that's more important than ever. 
And I would download the one minute pause app because it's going to rescue right. you. <laughs> it's true. I've got it on my phone. I think the the uh, notification is already prodding me to take a minute. To, and so I need to do that. So anything else you'd recommend? Obviously, you know, Amazon and is a good place to get the book and whatnot. Anywhere else you'd send people to learn more about you, your work, anything like that? Yeah. So if you listen to podcasts, uh, we have a podcast. You can look up John Eldridge podcast. That'd be a good step. And then we talked about the Wild at Heart retreats. Those are killer. And the Wild Heart Basic on our website, you'll find one going on, I, I guarantee you, close enough to you that you can get there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, the last question I have, John, is uh, what, what final uh, message would you have as far as how this research and going through the process of this book to reconnect, how has that brought you closer to Christ? Oh, my goodness. I'm able to give him my attention again. It's really as simple as that. Like, I'm able to hear him guiding me now again because I used to have it and I lost it and so there's a recovery of intimacy and therefore an ability to hear what he's saying to me and and we all need his counsel at a time like this you know what should I do and and so I I feel like I am recentered in Jesus and I'm really grateful That concludes my interview with John Eldridge. I am so grateful for his time and for the opportunity to talk with him. I was trying to suppress my fanboy in me because I just so much respect his perspective, his knowledge, um, and uh, the way that he's impacted my life through his books has been unforgettable. So I encourage you to uh, go to Amazon, search John Eldridge, check out his books, go to ransomedheart.com. His app, I have it on my phone. I've had it for several weeks. It is absolutely phenomenal as, as far as a simple way to transition to disengage from the craziness of the world and just seek out God and give it to him. And uh, man, what a blessing that is. So I encourage you to check that out. And it's in any app store. Uh, You can find that. And uh, let me know like who else, uh, who's your modern day C.S. Lewis, right? A a non-Latter-day Saint uh, Christian who's really impacted your perspective. I'd love to hear different ideas and and maybe someday they, they can end up on the Leading Saints podcast and we can learn from from their experience as well as Christians. And don't forget about the Meetings with Saints virtual summit on March 17th. Register for free by texting the word LEAD to 474747. It came as a result of the position of leadership which was imposed upon us by the God of heaven who brought forth a restoration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when the declaration was made concerning the only, only true and living church upon the face of the earth, we were immediately put in a position of loneliness, the loneliness of leadership from which we cannot shrink nor run away and to which we must face up with boldness and courage and ability.